Well, there's part of me that thinks that we could just pray and take the offering and go home right now because that was some church right there. And I'm always so excited and I, I, get, I get a little emotional. Um, like I, I was singing and it's kind of dumb maybe, but I'm looking and I see all the spilled water and I think to myself, how awesome is this? that we get to make this kind of mess on Sunday morning in our church on the stage, that God is blessing us so much that we don't just baptize one, but we get to baptize four. And I, it's especially special for me because um, today is six years since I preached my first sermon. Like this day is the six years since I preached my first sermon as the pastor of First Baptist Church. And I applaud for you because it's, it's a, a relationship, and I am so grateful for God and to God for what he's done here in and through us. Does it look like I thought it would look, like we thought it would look all those years ago? No, it doesn't. But God is moving, and God is doing incredible things. One of my goals has ever always been that we have more baptisms in a year than we have funerals. That we are bringing more people to live in the kingdom than we are sending to the kingdom. And we're, we're four ahead right now, boys and girls. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited and I am so honored and blessed and I am so grateful for the Floyds and the Coates uh, and for all of you that I've been able to baptize and to be a part of this with uh, here at First Baptist Church. I, I remember every time I do a baptism, I remember my baptism at First Baptist Church in Elkhart, Indiana. Do you remember your baptism? Can you remember what it was like? It's one of those moments that's very like crystal clear in my mind, and it always is, but it was even more this morning as I brought the guys up here, the boys, and we were up here, and I think it was Cooper was the first one to touch the water, and Cooper touched the water. He's like, man, that's warm. And and I remember that, Cooper. That was actually my first thought when, when I got baptized. Now, when I got baptized at my church, we didn't have one of these kind of baptistries. Our church was set up in kind of the round. It was set up as a pie with like eight different slices. And the middle slice, the eighth slice, was the, the, the place where the pulpit was, the chancel area. Where the, and it came out to this very slim area, and the pulpit like sat right there in the middle. I would go crazy. Like, because you had like eight inches to that side and eight inches to that side. And so, like, this was the amount of space you had to move. Wouldn't work for me. But that's what we had at the time. And, and the choir loft was huge in the background. And in the middle of the room was our communion table, the altar, if you will. And it was this big, white, round table that sat in the middle. It was the centerpiece of the church. And I remember going through my baptism classes, and they, they had them. I don't remember anything they said, but I remember them telling me, hey, when you get here to be baptized, you're going to meet back in this utility closet. And I remember thinking, what in the world? Why am I meeting in the utility closet? So we go back on that Sunday morning, and we meet in the utility closet, and they walk us down this sketchy staircase. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of church is this? Like, I don't know what you guys come from, but when kids get walked down to the basement, like historically parents say those things, it's not a good thing, right? So here they're walking us down to the basement. We get down to the bottom and they walk and there in the bottom uh, downstairs underneath the church is the round baptistry. So we got in the baptistry 
And you could hear everybody begin to sing, and you could see the opening at the top, and they pressed a button, and the baptistry with us in it, the water was so warm, lifted up from underneath the church up into the center of the sanctuary and lifted just above the rim of where the Baptist, the communion table was. And I remember thinking, this is the coolest thing I have ever experienced in my life. Like, what in the world is going on here? And I remember we're sitting in the back, and it was me and four of my friends that morning that are sitting in the back, and Pastor Graham, our pastor, is standing up in the front, and he is, he is trying to keep everything serious, but we are kids, right? And so we're in the back, and we're like having splash fights in the back. We're pumped, we're amped, we're excited, and he gets us up there, and he does the baptism, and we get back to the back, and we're swimming around because it's warm water, and you're kids. What do you do in a, you know, eight-foot pool in the middle of the sanctuary? You swim. And so we're swimming, and we can, the pastor said, well, the water is stirring, so unless anyone wants to be baptized this morning, we better get down because you all are about to be remember, re- reminded of your baptism this morning. And it was just a great moment. I don't remember anything they taught in the baptism class in the church library, but I remember that moment, and I remember the feeling of being like I was a part of something at that church. I remember the commitment. I remember the words that the pastor said, and I remember, I remember just the, the, the feeling of renewal and commitment that was in my heart, and every time I do a baptism, I am reminded myself of how much Christ has done for me And the great calling he places on each of our lives. But I did think this week as I was considering my baptism and thinking about their baptism and all the baptisms that we do. One of the things that that often happens uh, in churches as you develop a history and you go over time is is you take certain things for granted. And and when when I say taking things for granted, I don't mean that you don't value them. Clearly, we value baptism here at First Baptist Church, right? We value baptism. We want people to come to the, we value people accepting Jesus as Savior. We value, we, we value these things. We value the word of God. And we say these things, but sometimes what we take for granted is that everybody understands what we mean when we talk about these things. We take for granted that everybody understands why we do what we do the way that we do. But that isn't necessarily the case. So this morning, I just, I want to give a disclaimer We are going to talk about baptism, and we're going to talk about why we do baptism the way we do baptism at First Baptist Church, okay? I I just say that because I know that we have a lot of people that attend our church that have come up in different traditions. We have a lot of people that have come up in Methodist churches and have been baptized in Methodist churches according to, to Methodist theology and their beliefs, and that's good. Like, congratulations, we celebrate with you. We're in Seymour, Indiana, so like you can't throw a nickel anywhere in this town without hitting a Lutheran. So surely to God there is a Lutheran in the house today, and we know that you've got different beliefs about how you do baptism and what you do at your church, and that's great. We celebrate with you. And so what we're, but I'm going to present to you how we do baptism at First Baptist Church of Seymour, Indiana, and why as, as a Baptist church we believe what we believe. Do not be offended, please. I would love to have a discussion with you about your theology and beliefs of baptism. And, and we respect your baptism. I, I, and, and I'm going to go ahead and just offend my own church. I am never going to be the pastor that makes someone get baptized again. 
If you believe that you have been obedient to the command of Christ with your baptism whenever it happened, God bless you, come and join us. That's between you and Jesus, and I'm good with it. And, and I, I, I will die on that hill. But I will not die on the hill of this is the only way to do baptism all the time through all of history. Because, as we're going to talk about, Jesus and all of his goodness and grace never gave us a play-by-play of how it was supposed to happen. So I'm going to give you what we believe as a Baptist church. And, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll begin a dialogue and maybe some of us can have conversations about this respectfully later. Okay? Everybody cool? I want everybody to say this with me. I am not going to be offended by what Pastor Jeremy is going to say. And if I am offended, I will be a decent human being and approach it in a respectful way at an appropriate time. Amen. We may start every church service with that from now on. <laughs> that was just off my head, top of my head in the moment, but I feel really good about where we are as a community of faith right now, because there's a bunch of witnesses that just heard all y'all say this, all right? We are in the house of God. You're not supposed to lie anywhere, but especially here. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin to look at this subject this morning. Father God, I thank you so much again for your goodness and grace. God, you are so good to us. Better than we deserve, surely. And we are reminded this morning of, of your grace and your goodness and your gift to us of bringing us into your family of faith and of the ordinance of baptism. God, as we look at this morning, Lord, I pray that, that you would help us to see through your word one perspective on baptism. And Lord, may we be open and may we be encouraged by what it means and why we do it. And may it draw us deeper into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to ask just a couple of questions, okay? We're going to ask the question, why? Why do we baptize? How do we as First Baptist Church, and like subsequently underneath that, why we baptize how we do? We're going to talk about when should we baptize people? And four, we're going to talk about what? What does it mean when we're baptized, okay? So why, how, when? And what? So the first question is, why? why? Why do baptism? Because it's kind of a strange thing, right? In, in the context of a worship service, in the context of life in general, why, why is it that we have this formal gathering, formal-ish gathering, where we come together and we sit in these pews, and then we bring out a, we, I mean, actually for us, we have a specific pool, like in our church, that is only filled for this thing, and we bring, we bring children and men and women up in front of the congregation, and then we dunk them underwater in front of God and everyone. Why? Why do baptism? Or at another church, right? Why, why do they have the baptismal font? Why do we sprinkle water on top of people? Why do we splash people? Why do we, however we do, why, why do churches do baptism? And I'm going to go to the easiest answer of them all, and I think it's also the most important. Why baptize? Because Jesus told us to. I, I honestly think that there are other theological reasons that we'll talk about, uh, about why we do it like we do it and what it means, and I think those things are important. But ultimately, the number one reason why we do baptism, I said it as I was baptizing the boys in the water this morning, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
We do it because Jesus told us to. And now as parents, we, we should understand this, right? We as parents use that as like the trump card with our children when we are done rationalizing and trying to explain a rational reason for why we're doing things to irrational human beings. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like you're having the discussion and you're explaining the rationale and your, your rationale is airtight. You're re- like, we don't run into the parking lot because when we run into the parking lot, we might get hit by a car. Like that is that is airtight. Makes sense to me, right? But then our kids are like, but why? Like there's not a car there right now, which is a good point. The car that's not there right now doesn't matter. It's the car that's going to hit when, when you're standing out there. But you get to a point where you're like, I'm just not going to argue with you. Why should I do this? Because I said so. How many parents and grandparents in the room would say, I have used that argument in my lifetime? Yeah, don't lie to me, right? We have all used it. We have all used it. And the truth is, that's a good enough reason. I am the person in the position of authority. You may not always understand why I am saying what I'm saying. But because of my God-ordained position as your parent, you need to obey me. Because I know things that you don't. And so sometimes you do things just because that's what's expected. And Jesus told us that we were to baptize. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission, right? One of the most famous New Testament passages. The the definitive words of Jesus before he ascends into heaven. How we are to function and what we are called to do as believers. And, And it says this. Then Jesus came to his disciples and he said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how? How do we make disciples of all nations? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So do you know what the command is in the context of the Great Commission? I mean, First Baptist Church members should because I've talked about it before. We like to think that the command is to go, right? Like this is, this is the missionary calling and Jesus is calling some people to go into the world. But that really isn't the command. As a matter of fact, in the original language, the word go is kind of incidental. Like going is just part of life, right? We're going to finish this service and we are all going to go. We're going to go to, some of you are going to go to restaurants, some of you are going to go to homes, and then next week some of you are going to go to schools, and some of you are going to go to factories, and some of you are going to go to offices. But we're all, like, going is just a natural part of human existence. We go places, we do things, and we we live life. Going is part of the arrangement. The command comes after that, that we're to, as we're going into the world, make disciples of all nations. So that is, that is the command for all believers. And we need to understand something this morning, that, that the Great Commission is not optional. Like, you didn't get to opt into or out of making disciples. You don't get to opt into or out of sharing Jesus with the world. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior and you have agreed that you are going to do, as the boys have this morning, all that you can to obey him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then the Great Commission is not optional. It is, in fact, a command. 
We are to be part of the disciple-making process. Now, that's going to look different for each of us. It surely will look different for, for some of you than it will for me as a pastor. But all of us have a part to play in discipleship. And then Jesus gives us the how. Now, he just gives us a loose framework, though, doesn't he? He doesn't really explain it out. He says that we're to do two things. And what is the first thing that Jesus says after he tells those of us who are already believers that we're to make disciples? What's the first thing we're to do with new believers? Baptize them into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to obey all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Step one is right here. We go through the water. First step is to be baptized. Then we worry about teaching them to obey all things that have been commanded. But our obedience to Christ requires us to call others to obedience. And that obedience is symbolized through the act of baptism. Baptism is one of the first steps on the journey of faith in following Jesus Christ. To come forward and be baptized. Now, we struggle with that. I know that I struggled that with that with Michaela as a pastor, right? There was, there was something ingrained in me that made me think that as a pastor, especially with my kids, I needed to make sure that they really, really knew what baptism was all about. They needed to understand that the inner machinations of theology of what baptism was, and they needed to know it right before I take them to the waters of baptism. I remember that, that Michaela, as a three- and four-year-old, would beg us to be baptized. We did a, a big thing at our church in the Methodist church. We didn't have a baptistry, but I still was a Baptist at the Methodist church. So, like, we decided we were going to do some baptisms by immersion. So we bought four big inflatable pools. And when I say big, I mean big. And we took them back and set them up behind the church, and we had what was called the pool bacue. And we invited all the people in the community to come, and if anyone wanted to be baptized, we invited them to come. And I remember little Michaela coming up. She's like, I'm ready to go. And I was like, no, not you. Not you. You're not ready yet. And she's like, I was like, I'll, I'll practice with you later at home. And so we would give her a bath at night as we were in the bath. bath. That was her favorite game to play. Listen, it's a pastoral family. We're weird like that, right? So we played baptism in the bath, and she'd be like, Daddy, baptize me. And so I would baptize her, and she's like, okay, now am I ready? I'm like, well, let's keep talking. Maybe we'll practice again, right? And we did this for a long time. And I remember one, one night we were giving Michaela a bath, and as, as we're in the bath and we're practicing baptism, she comes up and she is bawling. And I'm like, oh, did you get water in your nose? She's like, no, I'm just really sad because I think Jesus is sad. And I'm like, that's some bad theology, but why is Jesus sad, baby? And she's like, well, the Bible says that if I love Jesus, I'm supposed to obey him. And Jesus said, I'm supposed to be baptized, Dad. And you keep telling me I have to wait. And I'm going to tell you in that moment, my five-year-old's theology was better than mine. Did she know everything? No, she didn't. She didn't. She had a lot of things that she needed to learn. But you know what she knew? She knew that Jesus loved her. Because we told her. She knew that Jesus died on the cross to save her from her sins. She believed that in her heart. And she knew that Jesus had commanded that those who believed in their heart were to come forward and obey through baptism. That next week, it was freezing cold outside, but we bought a kiddie pool, we set it up in the fellowship center, and we baptized my daughter. Because her theology was right. 
She didn't understand all of the workings around it. She didn't have great theology, but she had right understanding that if we love Jesus, we have accepted his gift by grace through faith that we are to be baptized and we are to obey Jesus. No one ever fights with me about coming forward for baptism about theological reasons. You know that? Like as parents sometimes, and I don't mean to demean you as parents, if you are having your children wait, I, I, I truly understand. So please understand me. I am not trying to be hateful here. I'm just telling you my experience. But you know, you know what the predominant reason that people don't want to come forward and be baptized? Because it's embarrassing. They don't want to come forward because they don't want to stand in front of all of these people. They don't want to come forward because they don't, they don't want to get wet in front of the entire congregation. Like, what's going to happen to my makeup? What's going to happen to my hair? We laugh, but I'm telling you over and over and over again, the number one reason people don't want to be baptized is it is embarrassing. You know what? I think to some degree, it's supposed to be. Now, that may sound bad to you, but... Is humble obedience not part of the package? It does seem kind of senseless. Great meaning to it I, when you look at it. But, but on the face of it, it is kind of embarrassing. It is humbling to come forward in a white robe with shorts and a t-shirt underneath and, and stand soaking wet in front of the full congregation. We celebrate with you. It shouldn't be embarrassing because everybody else in the room is amped and so excited for you. But our pride inside of us keeps us from obeying Jesus. And, and it's interesting because that's microcosmic. Our, our unwilling to obey Jesus in this small thing that he's commanded of us, if you're not willing to jump in the water and be just a little embarrassed right here, I tell, I'm going to tell you there's plenty of things in this book you're going to struggle with. So why do we baptize? Because Jesus told us to. We make baptism something more difficult to understand than it needs to be. Baptism, and I want everybody to hear me on this. If you hear nothing else I say this morning, hear this. Baptism is a public declaration of an internal faith through humble obedience to Jesus. That is, at its heart, that's all it is. So when you ask me, I'm just going to tell you, if you ask me, hey, Dr. J, like, I'm just really, I can't be in front of people. Can, can like, we do a private baptism in my pool? Probably not. Because to be a public declaration to the church and to the world now, if you're, if you're afraid to be dunked underwater and you say, hey, look, I just, I'm, I have, I'm terrified of water. I almost drowned my kid had this at one time. Can we do it a different way? I'll pour water on your head. I'll sprinkle water on your head. I, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, you know, so you believe in baptism by immersion, which we're going to talk about. I was like, yep, absolutely, sure do. And he said, so when you push someone under the water, if the top of their head is not covered in water, have you completed the baptism? And I was like, well, technically, I guess, I guess not. He said, oh, great, so then it's just the top of the head that matters. Okay, point taken, right? So I, I don't think it matters how we do it, but that we do it. We baptize in obedience to Jesus Christ. We do it because Jesus said, said so. Second thing, moving on, how? How do we baptize? Well, we baptize at First Baptist Church, as you have seen this morning, by immersion. What that means is we dunk you all the way under the water and bring you up, right? That, that's the way that we do it. Technically, the, the, what we would say is that we as First Baptist Church believe in what's called believer's baptism by immersion. Everybody say that with me. 
believer's baptism by immersion. Now, what that means is this, that we, we prefer that people accept Jesus, that they make a profession of faith, and then we bring them to the baptismal waters. That a person will declare their faith, then we baptize them. Now, there are, other, there are other rationales, and there are biblical texts that actually support why they baptize when they baptize. But that's not what we do at First Baptist Church. So we're not going to meander into what we don't do. We're going to talk about what we do. So why, why do we do this? Again, Jesus, the, the Bible doesn't give us clear instructions. You can look and look and look if you want to. And better men and women and smarter men and women than you and I have done so. And they argue about it. But they argue about things that are inferred in the passages. It is not clear. It's great because I'm looking around and I know that there are people in the room that have gone to different theological schools and have grown up in different theological traditions. And they're going, that's true. Bible isn't clear. Like it would have been better, wouldn't it, if Jesus would have said, this is exactly how you do it. Step one, person comes forward and prays a prayer. Step two, you take them through a class on baptism and what it means. Step three, you bring them up and put them in a crazy looking white robe and you dunk them underwater. Step four, whatever the Bible says, right? Like it would be great if we had a step by step, but the Bible doesn't say that. Acts, which is the preeminent book that describes how the early church functions, doesn't really even give us a clear description of what the disciples did when they were baptizing. It tells us some things, but it's not clear. Now, there is an extra biblical text that talks about it. It's called the Didache, the Didache, the teaching of the 12. It's an extra biblical text that was developed in, uh, like, within just a, a hundred years of Jesus. It's considered one of the oldest extra biblical texts explaining what the Bible means by certain things. And this is what the Didache says concerning baptism. It says, concerning baptism, you should baptize this way. After first explaining things, Baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in flowing water. Well, brothers and sisters, we have failed this morning. This water is not flowing. I mean, we could have turned the bubbles on and it would be stirring, but it wouldn't be flowing. Step one, in flowing water. But then they go on, not to worry. If you have no running water, baptize in other water. Very pragmatic. And if you cannot do so in cold water, then in warm water. If you have very little water, pour three times in the head, on the head in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that because they're like, well, we kind of prefer it this way. But if you can't do it this way, then do it this way. And if you can't do it that way, then do it this way. You know what I think their point is? It really isn't all that important how you do it as much as it, what you mean by doing it. Baptize. Like, just be baptized. That's the primary concern of those that came closest to Jesus. Just do what you can as you can, but baptize. Now, I say that. Now, we'll go, go on to why we do what we do. As Baptists, again, we practice believer's baptism by immersion, and it is based on our understanding of Scripture. There's a couple of passages that, that we need to consider. The first is in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and that's the baptism of Jesus. And it says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up 
out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now we, we base in part our baptism on those three words. Coming up out. Coming up out of the water. Because logic tells us that if someone is coming up out of the water, that they must first have gone down into the water. Right? Basic logic. Now, I want to be clear. Does it say explicitly what going down into the water means or coming up out of the water means? No, it doesn't. But we don't have to use a whole lot of imagination to understand that this was probably immersion. That Jesus was dunked in some way under the water at his baptism. Well, then we can go to another passage. So we flip over to Acts chapter 8, which we'll look at in more detail here in a moment. But in Acts chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, it says this. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down to the water and Philip baptized them. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. We see it again, coming up out of the water. Again, if they come up out of the water, they had to have first gone down into the water. Now, what I think is interesting here, and I, I noticed this this week, is we assume that Philip baptized this guy. But notice that it says, when they came up out of the water. Like, did Philip, like, say, okay, we're going to do this together, you know? Interesting fact, and this is true. Like, we do, in part, do baptism by immersion because Paul very clearly says that baptism symbolizes our burial with Christ in baptism, right? That's why we do it the way that we do. And so here, like we say, I say the words every time we do a baptism, buried with him in baptism. We put him under. Raised to walk in newness of life. So there's a symbolism there that's in the text, right? That, that's in 1 Corinthians or excuse me, in Romans 6, it says that we are buried with Christ in baptism. So those are three passages that, that explain why we do baptism by immersion. Interesting historical fact. Did you know that when they buried people historically, they didn't bury people like we think of on their back? They put them in forward. So when Jesus was baptized, it was likely that they didn't lower him back, but they took him and took him face first into the water. There are those that would argue that because it says in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we should actually baptize three times, not once. There's biblical backing for that. You know what? There's actually passages where it says that when someone, when, when heads of household, when, when the, the wife and husband came to Christ, you know who was baptized? Their entire family was baptized. Now, we see in the passages, very for us, there, there are things that seems clear to us that it, it was by immersion. But that's all we've got, right? That's not a lot to go on. Now, why do I say all that? Like, we, I don't apologize for anyone, to anyone for why we do baptism the way that we do it. I love the symbolism, and, and I, love, I love the humility that it does require to do baptism like this. I don't apologize. But understand, this is not a hill for us to die or divide on. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but I find it so incredibly saddening that we divide so quickly over baptism in our churches. Because we're going to see in a minute 
that the what of baptism, what does baptism tell us? That we're connected, that we're all part of one body in one spirit. But then we take this very symbol that's supposed to remind us that we have died to self and we've raised to Christ to become part of the same body and the same spirit, and we argue over that. It's a hill that we die on and a point that we divide over. We baptize believer's baptism by immersion. But brothers and sisters, if you've been baptized and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I am not going to argue with you. I am not going to be baptized, forced to be baptized again. If you were baptized before and you feel like you've recommitted to Christ and you need to symbolize and signify it through, I will baptize you again. And there are churches that would say, no, 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 we don't do that. It's one and done. You get one shot. We baptize because Christ said so. We baptize believers' baptism by immersion because that's what we see in Scripture. The next question is when. When should we baptize people? Well, the pattern that we see over and over and over and over and over and over again in the New Testament is that people believe and then are baptized. And it is often, usually, that quick. You believe, and then you're baptized. Actually, we see that here in Acts chapter 8. We'll stay right there. In Acts chapter 8, it says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way and met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. Now this Ethiopian had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. Well, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up with him and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news, the gospel about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders for the chariot to stop. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So, notice what happens. The guy has a few questions because he's reading the Bible. Philip jumps in the chariot, and he explains the gospel to the guy and the gospel the the gospel gets into the guy's heart and the guy's like you know what I believe and he asks an important question of Philip mind you Philip an early disciple one of the first deacons of, of the church right he says what can stand in the way of me being baptized there's water right here you know what the implied answer is in the text what can stop me nothing nothing I believe. Let's go. Here's the water. Let's take care of some business right now. Notice what he doesn't say. What can stop me? Oh, 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 oh you know, I, I'm glad you've believed, but we need to go over a few things to make sure your theology is correct before we get you in the water. Like, first of all, what do you believe about speaking in tongues? Let's talk about it. What are tongues? And before we get you in the water, like, what kind of church hierarchy do you believe your church should have? Like, what kind of church polity? Are you elder-driven? 
Are you pastor driven? Are you congregation rule? Like that's important. Before we can get you in the water, we need to get that settled. What, what, what do you believe about, insert whatever? Philip doesn't ask any of those questions. I mean, do, do you know, notice this. Like, Philip, Philip doesn't even say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's give it a few days and make sure that you really believe, all right? Let's make sure this isn't an emotional decision. Let's just take a few days and let you think about it. And if you still believe after a few days, then we'll find some water, okay? Just time out. He doesn't say, well, we need to make sure that the church approves of you before we get you in the water. Oh, brothers and sisters, that one makes me sick to my stomach. The fact that we can approve or deny membership in our church or the waters of baptism is disgusting to me. If I offended you there, we can have that discussion later. Remember, you agreed. You know what? Philip, Philip doesn't even make sure that the man prayed the prayer. What? He didn't stop and say, listen, pray this prayer after me. Jesus I thank you for dying on the cross. I believe you died for my sins. Please come into my heart and save me. Like, no prayer at all. What in the world? He didn't say, did you pray a prayer accepting Jesus? He just said, the guy says, hey, like, what's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip's like, sounds good to me. There's water. And he goes and baptizes him. But you know what? This is in keeping with the, the brief order that Jesus gave us. What's the order in Matthew 28 again? Baptizing them. And then teaching them to obey all things. We get that backwards. We want to be gatekeepers to the grace of Jesus Christ. We want to teach them all things that they've got to do. And then we want to even make sure that they get a few things right. And then we'll baptize them. And, and let me give credit. I said that wrong. We do that to ourselves a lot of times. That's number two reason why people tell me they, they, they can't get baptized yet. Well, listen, I've got to work through some things in my life. I'm just not at a good place. I, you know, I've done too many things, and I don't know that Jesus is ready to accept me yet. Listen, if that is the basis and that's what's keeping you from being baptized, I'm going to give you some really bad news this morning. You will never be good enough. You will never do enough good things to undo the bad. You will never, you will never earn Jesus' love. Hear me? But let me give you the good news. You don't have to. And I am so sorry to any of you in the house or watching online who have been led to believe that there is a standard of good enough before you can come and accept the grace of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that's not how it works. We come to the waters of baptism as we are. We go unto the water as one person and we rise into new life to live the life. And after we come from the water... We obey all the things that Christ has commanded us. We get the cart before the horse. We are to go into, so when, when should we be baptized? When someone believes. Baptism is something we do in recognition that we can't get it right. That we are dirty. That we are unclean. And that it is only through the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus washing over us that we are made righteous. We don't come to the water because we are righteous. We come to the water in recognition that we are unrighteous in desperate need of the grace and righteousness of Jesus. That's a place to say amen. I'll wait. <laughs> Listen, that is, the, that is what baptism tells us. It reminds me, and every time I do it, and every time you see us do it, you should be reminded of your baptism, that it's not about you being good enough. 
It's not about you being clean. It's not about you having it all together. It's about you obeying Jesus and following him best you can. And being reminded that that you are going to fail, but Christ has covered that sin. And he continues to call you into faithfulness with him. Finally, what? Baptism reminds us of our connection with and commitment to the body of Christ. Quickly, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 14. And it says, just as a body, the one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we are all given the same spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. The fact is, I could actually have looked at many passages that point to this. Baptism reminds us that it's not about us, but that we are brought together in Christ. That we are made right through one spirit. And that we are no longer our own, but we are the body of Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. We are saved by grace through faith and not by works of righteousness. We can't boast that we were baptized and we were baptized in the right way and another was not, thus we were saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. Baptism is simply a mark of our acceptance and an acknowledgement of what has happened as a result of our salvation. And our trip into the water and back out is a physical picture of what that, that who we were has disappeared and who we are in Christ remains. It does remind us of our cle- the cleansing power of Christ to wipe away all of our sins. But it's also meant to cover the distinctions that divided us. Did you notice what Paul says here? There, there is no more Gentile or Jew. There is no more slave or free. These two cultural items that they used to think they were better than or more holier than, that Jesus says, or Paul says, those, those don't matter. We, once we come into Christ, we're in Christ. Game over. That is totally redefined. Our baptism should redefine fundamentally who we see ourselves as. And it should remind us that it is not about me, but it is about he and bringing us together as a, a we. Paul cuts straight to the heart of things. As those who have accepted the salvation by grace that comes through faith in Jesus, we are now defined by our reliance upon and connection to Jesus above and beyond all things. We are one body because of one baptism into one spirit. And our connection to Christ connects us to one another. We need each other to be what Christ has called us to be and to do what Christ has called us to do. In full obedience to Christ, which is what it's all about, requires humility towards Christ and towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. It requires us to humbly remember our need and the needs of others and to seek to meet them with grace and compassion. It requires us to show the same mercy to others, remembering that they need Christ in the same way that we do. And it requires us to find ways to walk and serve side by side Different though we may be, sinners though we certainly are, as we continue to lift one another up and seek Christ, may we not seek to keep people out. May we seek reasons to get people into the water, understanding that that is the first act of obedience, that we do it because Jesus said so, 
and that we do it in as best we can in keeping with what we see in Scripture. And that we should do it as soon as someone believes. We should do it early and often. May we remember our baptism today. May we celebrate with these four and may we seek to bring more to the water of baptism that they might join in the body of Christ in the work of what Christ is doing, recognizing his saving grace and the victory that he gives us through his shed blood. In Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you so much for each that is here. I thank you for the baptism that we've celebrated this morning. And I thank you for the reminder that it is to us of your grace working in and through each of our lives. God, may we repent of the walls that we've placed around the baptismal font and the ways that we have made people believe that, that they need to be good enough or do more in order to be worthy of your love and your grace and your salvation. God, may we seek to tear down walls, to open up the doors wide and to welcome people into the water and then subsequently into the family of faith. We thank you for your love for each of us and the cleansing power of your blood in each of our lives. In Jesus' name.